hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin West. To order or download additional resources, please visit kevinwest.org. I like days like today. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to John 21. We're going to be reading now the Message Bible. And um, it is just good to see your all faces today. It's good to be with you. I do want to say a huge thank you to Pam and Jim Tufts for opening your home. It was amazing to get to see uh, just the hospitality and what God has done in your all's lives to be able to open your home. And those that were a part of that yesterday, was it was just phenomenal. Um, but again, to stir something in my heart that I want to share with you today. And if you'll, you'll just let your heart and your mind open, I hope that it... it begins to penetrate like it has mine because I'm telling you this week I've you've heard the expression I'm all up in my feels that's where I'm at right now and it's a good thing I like it I do also want to invite you tonight at six o'clock we're going to be having a worship night and those are powerful evenings that we get to just sit sit back worship together so if you're able to be here I want to encourage you tonight at six o'clock here in the main sanctuary we're going to be having a worship night I want you to go ahead and let's read this together. And it says there, in the, we're in the Message Bible. It says, after this, Jesus appeared again to the disciples. This time at the Tiberias Sea, the Sea of Galilee. This is how he did it. Simon Peter Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the brother Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. And he said it this way. The King James, I love it. It says, I go a-fishing. Now, to set this up, Jesus had been crucified, and they had had communion together, and they had seen so many things happen, but then suddenly, you, you remember in the scripture, whenever Peter, now, he's at the cross, and he follows him, but then suddenly, he's, the Bible says that he was warming himself by fire while Jesus was on trial, and a young girl looks at him and says, he was with Jesus, and, Jesus, and Peter looks at him and says, no, I don't know who that is. I don't know anything about him. And then he goes back and warms himself by the fire. And again, they come to him and press him again and say, but yeah, you know him. You were with him. We saw you. And Peter's like, no, I'm telling you I don't. And then finally on the third time that they begin to press him, the Bible says that he cursed him and said, I do not know this man. And then we do not see Peter till later on. And there have been many things happen. The tomb had been emptied and he had seen him in all his glory after the resurrection and he had come and showed himself during that time in the upper room, in the area there. But here's the thing that's changing though. This is a story that happens and we're seeing this going on as there's still no clear direction yet. So what Peter does is he says, you know what? I'm going to go fishing because I know I'm good at that. I don't know what the next step for me is. I don't know what, what's going to happen. There, my whole world has changed, but I do know I'm very good at that. So I'm going to go back to that. And not only him, verse 3, it says this, the rest of them replied, we're going with you. They went out and got in the boat. They caught nothing that night. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, and they did not recognize him. So Peter not only took people with him, they went back to what they were very good at, but even in their, the things that they were very good in and what they were graced at doing before, they could not even recognize who Jesus was while they were operating in it. Something that was so familiar they couldn't even find Jesus in now. But then it says in verse 5, Jesus spoke to them, Good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? They answered, No. Then he said, Throw the net on the right side of the boat and see what happens. They did what he said, and all of a sudden, there were so many fish in it that there were, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Then the disciples, or then the disciple that Jesus loved, said to Peter, "It's the master." When Simon Peter realized that it was the master, he threw on some clothes for he was stripped for work and dove into the sea. The other disciples came in by boat, for they weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along a net full of fish. When they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid with fish and bread cooking on it. And Jesus said, bring some of your fish you've caught. Simon Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore, 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net did not rip. Jesus said, breakfast is ready. Not one of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They just already knew it was him. So Jesus then took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had shown himself alive to the disciples since being raised from the dead. 
After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This was the first time that Jesus addressed Peter since Peter was over here by a fire as a coward saying, I don't know him, I don't know him. But then all of a sudden, Peter swims to shore because he can't, get, he can't wait to get to Jesus. And then suddenly, Jesus is warming himself by a fire. Jesus brought him back to the very place of remembrance where he left him. And instead of asking him, why did you deny me? Why did you do that? So you, you went back to fishing. Okay, are, are you doing good? Are you going to get a new boat? How are you going? How's this going to work? Jesus didn't do any of that. He asked him one question. He said, Peter, do you love me? Do, do you love me? And then he says, do you love me more than these? And yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Then he keeps going. He said, then I asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. And Jesus said, or then he said it a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset that he asked for a third time, do you love me? So he answered, master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I'm telling you the very truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. But when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. Let's stop right there. The thing that God began to just, when I read that, my heart just began to break. Because sometimes... We in ministry, and I'm not just saying the, the, the church ministers and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about we in ministry, in our day-to-day -day life, we can get so caught up, and I speak for myself, that if I'm not too careful, that I will get ministry sometimes, and I'll put the cart before the horse, and I find myself over and over beginning to strive for, for perfection and strive for the greatness and to strive for the thing that I think is important, and I go a-fishing because I'm good at it. I go and I do things and I put my hands on things that I think are important in my life because they're important to me. So I find myself on a daily basis, and I'm just speaking for myself here. I'll be very transparent. I find myself many times doing things that are comfortable and familiar because I know I'm good at this. I can't, I'm not necessarily going to begin to do something out here because this is comfortable for me. This is what I know I've been doing. I have sang music my entire life. I have sang in front of thousands, and I'm not telling you this to brag or anything like that or be arrogant, but I have sang in front of thousands and thousands of people. I've been all across the country. I've spoken on st platforms and stages that I was nowhere near good enough to speak on or do anything. I've sang on albums. I've produced music. I have worked with some of the greatest people in the world, and I can attest today that every bit of that, and I, even in this new season, I have the ability to get to speak to CEOs of large corporations now, to get to work with subcontractors. But the question that God keeps nailing down in my heart day after day after day is, Stephanie Scragg, do you love me? Lord. Not just do you love me, and then I say, well, of course you know I love you, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then you have to love them. Do you, do you love me more than these? More than that guitar, more than my voice, more than the things that I can do and I can stand on a stage and trumpet and do some amazing things. Stephanie Scragg, do you love me more than these? And if you do, then you'll love them. And the Holy Spirit began to work in my heart in a brand new way that began to crumble my heart and my life and who I am to the point that I began to shout to him, yes, God, I love you because I know I love them. 
I love them. And it doesn't just say love them. It says feed them. It doesn't just say, okay, love you. I'm praying for you. No, to feed, the definition of feed is to create atmospheres and to give somebody everything they need to sustain, to give them everything that they need to operate. And now I'm speaking today because we've, we, if you've been here at Expression Church long enough, there is not a segregation of the ministers and the congregation. We are ministers of reconciliation. That's who we are. You are an ordained priesthood of your household. You lead your household. Even if it's a single household, you are the priest of your home. That's what you do. You are a minister of the gospel of reconciliation. And way too many times, we as ministers, whenever we get up into a platform and we get to that place, if we're not careful, especially if we're new in it, we will find ourselves way too often loving ministry more than people. Loving people is messy, it's dirty, it's imperfect. It is imperfect because it will cause you to step out in places that you would not normally go and it will cause you to breathe life and to give life. Because what he said to Peter there, he spoke it as well. He said, when you were young, you did what you wanted to, but when you grow into maturity, someone else will begin to take your life. That's maturity. That's maturity in the body. So I have put myself on the operating table for the Holy Spirit over the last week. And what he has brought me to is that if I, I can stand up here and do great things, but the greatest remembrance of him and the greatest honor that I have in my life to get to do for people is to, get, is to love them well to make sure do you have what you need? Are you just sitting in a chair week after week having a dream inside of your heart that never gets realized, hoping that somebody would walk by you and at least say hello? It's more, and it's me being able to be sensitive enough to walk by and recognize, hello, wait a minute, I see you. Because how can we in ministry many times together, that's the key is it's not okay for you to sit idle with dreams inside of your chest and hopes and destiny and, all you, and you begin to starve yourself to death because you don't know where to pull in, you don't know where to get in or get out or what to do. That's, whatever Je- that's when Jesus comes along and says, hey, do this and you'll find it. That's what our job as ministers are here. It's not about perfection. It's not about the performance. I do not come over to you and tap you on the shoulder just so I can get some brownie points with the Lord. It truly is if you are not activated in into your dream and into your destiny, then I am a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal and I'm really good at it. But I would trade all of it for destiny to awake in every one of you. And I don't say it, I'm saying that from a brokenness today that has nothing to do with, I want you to feel good. No, 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 no. You've got to launch So I'm encouraging you today to really look over yourself, take inventory. Whether you're in ministry or whether you're called to lead people because everybody in here is called to lead somebody. I wanna encourage you today. Let God break your heart. Let God begin to massage your heart for people because all of this fades, but that one question always remains. Do you love me? then you have to feed them. Do you love me? Then you have to take care of my little ones. Do you, do you love me more than yourself? So I just wanna pray over us today. And I wanna impart something into this room that I've, I've talked it over with leadership before with Pastor Kevin. And, and This is one of those things that I believe that the Holy Spirit is really wanting our hearts to catch today because there's no formula to loving people. I don't care if people try to make one. There's not. You either do or you don't. There's not a formula. And I will not try to be a part of something that tries to make one. It's something that can be caught. 
And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to blow that wind over us today. So if you would, if you feel that, that you're wanting to catch that, can we just lift our hands in this place as I begin to pray? Father, God, first and foremost, God, God, I repent in my own life from the times that I have went back to fishing and I have went back to things that were so comfortable because I was good at it. And I, I repent for the things, God, whenever I wanted to do it because it was, it was what my flesh wanted and what I wanted and me, me, me. God, I repent of those things. But God, today I say in this place, Father, that your heart be above every heart today. And God, we say break our hearts for what breaks yours, not because it's a cool song lyric, but because it's the truth. So God, I say right now that the brokenness that I have felt for people whenever they're laid in the hospital and they don't know when they're gonna get out and whenever their families are hurting and they're going through divorces and they're finding themselves in bankruptcy and they can't get financial freedom, God, and those things wake me up at night because I just, I worry about them in the spirit and then I begin to pray for them because I love them so much, God. I pray, Lord, that that would just sit right now on top of Expression Church, that that is the heart always, that it is always the default to care. It's always the default to text somebody. It's always the default to hug somebody in need, that it's always the default to be the person that says, absolutely, yes, let's go for it. May we be open doors instead of brick walls, God, that whenever we begin to work with people and we begin to work with individuals, that they know that we are yes and amen, not well, but that we are open doors, God, for people to find destiny in every walk of life, not because they're gifted in one or two areas, but God, because they are yours and they are who they are and who they are called to be in your destiny, Father. So at the hospitals, in the homes, in the teaching facilities, God, in the studios, in everything that we do, God, may we first answer the question that is most important to your heart. God, we love you, so we will feed them. Not because you told us to, but because we want to. So God, I just impart that heart on this place. That it may become a reservoir of just um, realizing every single dream and every single destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how do we do that? How do we love him? How, do we, how are we affectionate towards him? Is it the raising of our hands in worship? Is it the prayers that we pray, the songs that we sing, the giving that we give? All those are attributes. All those are characteristics and outputs. Yes, they are. But if you wanna increase your love for God, one thing is required. You learn to receive another level of love from God. It's not that you first loved him, it's that he first loved you. You want a deeper level of relationship and love of God, love to God and for God? Get another layer of relationship and level of love from God. Do you know how much he truly loves you? Do you know why Peter was able to, he was able to ask Peter that whole thing? Peter had a couple of revelations that only could come from the Spirit. One was when they were all together and he said, who do, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist and Elijah, but Peter spoke up and said, you're the, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, you didn't get that by a Sunday school lesson, my friend. You didn't get that from somebody writing in a book, the Bible bookstore. You got that by divine impartation and revelation from the Spirit, from the Father. The very next passage of Scripture, Peter vacillates right back to himself again. He, Jesus said, I've, I've got to go die on a cross. Peter says, no, you're not going to go do that. No, see, it looks like that Peter was trying to love by protecting Jesus. Jesus looks at him, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't, you, don't, you don't understand how this works. 
the Son of God and the Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve. I came to remove every barrier, every obstacle, everything in your life, all those inadequacies and insecurities, the things in your life that cause you problems and headaches that people don't like about you. You know all the stuff that just gets in your way? I came to remove all of those hurdles from you. I came to remove your iniquities, your sins, your impurities, your blame, your condemnation, your shame. I've come to remove it all. Peter, I don't need you to do anything for me. I need you to let me do this for you. Peter, do you know how much I love you? I see your problems. I see your smart mouth, sharp tongue, cursing attitude. I see all of that. I see sometimes where you're, you're, you're quick to cut off an ear. I see all of that, Peter. You're, you're ready to fight, fight or flight. It's ready. I see, Peter, let me serve you. Let me demonstrate how much I truly love and care for you. Peter, I've walked with you for three and a half years. When you guys were worried about the woman that came in and was, was pouring her tears all over my feet and washing my feet with her tears and her hair and drying them off with her hair, you, you guys looked at her. She didn't qualify, but Peter, I, I kind of took up for her. And then the, the, then the religious people were gathered around Peter, and you know the story. You were there. This woman was caught in adultery. They brought her right in the middle, and she was supposed to die. The law says she was going to get stoned, and Peter, I defended her. Peter, don't you remember the young man that was blind from birth and he grew up and he was a young man now and I healed his blinded eyes and all you, James and John and Peter, you and all the rest of them were looking at me going, who sinned, him or his parents? And I said, Peter, quit trying to put blame on people. You're looking for the cause and the effect. I'm telling you, sin is in the world and I've come to take it off mankind. You can't do it yourself. They can't get themselves out of their mess. Only I can do that, Peter. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Peter, don't you remember the young girl that was dead and I, the mother was crying and I went upstairs and I, 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 rose her, I raised her from the dead. Do you remember her mother, how grateful she was when that all took place? Don't you remember those stories? Peter, I went on a mission for three and a half years to show and demonstrate to you how the Father feels about people. Even in their sin, he loves them. I showed them how to not have to be qualified. I showed them what I did to qualify them. They couldn't qualify for the love of the Father. He outpoured his love on them and I showed them how to do it. It's called grace. Peter, it's called grace. It's giving them something that they don't deserve. Peter, you're high-minded. I need you to do something for me, Peter. I need you all to sit down here. I'm gonna be crucified, Jesus says. I need to die to finally put all of that upon the cross pin it against a tree to where it has no ordinances and accusation against you. And Peter, this is over your head. You really don't understand what I'm doing. But I'm gonna do it anyway. Because there'll come a time, Peter, that when you mature and you grow up and you, after I resurrect, it'll make sense to you. So Peter, sit down. All of you, sit down here at the table. Jesus gets up, wraps a towel around himself, girds himself with a towel, he gets a basin of water and he sits down and he goes to the disciples one by one and he begins to do the washing of the feet. Olden days in churches, when I was growing up, they were called foot washing services. Sometimes I think we forgot what they really mean. So he starts washing the feet of the disciples and can you imagine all 12 of them? Judas is at the table. And he's looking. Can you imagine as you all been in prayer lines before. You know they're all holy there that night when Jesus is starting to wash their feet. Their eyes are closed, but occasionally you'll 
open one eye just to see how close he is to you and how everybody else is handling it. And here he comes one by one by one. John, James, nobody knew what to do but just sit there. But there was Peter. Peter, cut off the ear, Peter. Cuss you out to your face, Peter. Stab you if nobody's looking, Peter. All in good intentions. You go to the cross, I'll die for you, Peter. Jesus gets ready to wash his feet. Peter says, whoa. I already have the revelation. You're the father. You, 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 you are God. Man, you, you are the son of the living God. You are Christ. You're the master, the king, the Lord. I need to be washing your feet. Jesus looks up at him and says, Peter, it's not what you could do for me. It's what you'll let me do for you. And if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing in me. Because Peter, you cannot give what you have not received. And if you receive this with condition, you'll give it to other people with condition. And I want you to receive this knowing you're sitting there, knowing you're not all that right, and the one that's spotless and blameless, the only one that should be able to be served is now serving you. So Peter, take this. If I don't do this for you, you'll have nothing in me. Peter gets this revelation. Another epiphany. Oh God, if I don't let you do this for me, you'll have nothing in me and I'll have nothing in you. Peter says, wash my feet, my hands, my wash all over me. Why? Because I want all that he has for me. I don't want to love people with condition, so I have to receive it unconditionally. I don't want to do things for people with conditions and stipulations and motivations and angles and turns and what do I get out of it? And No, I want to be able to do it with nothing in return. But you can't do it, Peter, unless I give you all I have. Too many people in the body of Christ, they want to serve Jesus. You know how to serve Jesus? It's two ways. You first let him serve you, and then you serve other people. He gets more out of what you do for people than he does in your song lyrics. He's not egotistical. He's not some king on a throne that sits up there and says, bow before me. No. He's worth all of that. But he's not like you think he is. He wants you to do that for other people. Lower yourself to elevate others. That's how you give God glory. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, don't you remember that I washed your feet? He's the king. He's the Lord. And the truest test of humility is to letting somebody that you esteem higher than you serve you. Can you receive his forgiveness?
even though you don't deserve it? Can you receive his healing even though maybe you have no reason to get it? Can you receive his pardon, his mercy, his grace? Even though you don't deserve it. And the minute you start thinking about yourself, you've just taken it all off of him and putting it on you. And we've been taught improperly with good intentions. Jesus brings them from the those feet washing to the upper room and he's got them all gathered around him. Even Judas. He takes the cup and he takes the, the bread. He blessed it, he broke it, he gave thanks, passed it out, distributed it. Jesus served it. And they're looking, you know they're looking around at each other. Before he ever was crucified, they took communion. There was no provision. The blood had not yet been shed. How did they take communion before the blood was shed? Because it was in him they were able to allow him to serve them through the feet washing and the cleansing and the partaking of the food. The sacrifice was accepted when they received the communion. So Paul fast forwards it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says it this way, take your bread and your, your blood, your, grape, your, your juice, your, the fruit of the vine. The bread represents the body and the fruit of the vine represents the blood of Jesus. And he says it this way, he says, examine yourself because many people take this unworthily. And many people have died and went to sleep before their time because our inability to discern the Lord's body. So coming from our Adamic nature and our Peter's previous position, we stand before God in a church service and we say, oh God, I don't know that I'm worthy. If I examine myself, I find stuff which disqualifies me from receiving the communion. We've been taught that if you've got that kind of stuff going on in your life, you're not gonna take it because you'll just bring damnation to your soul. I'm telling you what he's saying is when you receive the body and the blood, if you find yourself not needing it because you're so examined and purified, then we need to be drinking of your blood and eating of your body. But there's none righteous, no, not one, but him. So examine yourself and the first moment you come to the, the consideration that you need a savior you are now qualified for communion. He didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. So communion is for you to allow the Lord to serve you in your mess, in your humiliation in your flesh. And every time you think of something that says, oh God, I'm disqualified because I've got that. Oh God, that just makes it better because it breaks a heart. 
It draws a man into repentance. And when you esteem him higher and find yourself not worthy, but he shed his blood for you anyway, draws you into a place of relationship and appreciation and gratefulness to where you're so much receiving the love of God, you can't help but love other people. When you find, when you know how much junk you have in your stuff, and he died for you anyway, you don't look at other people going, my sins are less hazardous than yours. My, 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 no, see, when you look at your stuff, and you look at his stuff, and you know he gave you his stuff in exchange for your stuff, when you didn't know how to give him your stuff, he gave him yours. He gave you his. You don't have time to look at the person to the right or the left of you. You don't have time to look over here and say, oh, let me, let me help you out a little bit. Let me help you. No, 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 no. No, you have to first receive. And once you receive with a clean conscience of his conscience being clean, and you now receive it into your mortal being, your flesh, your body, and you're saying, God, I don't deserve this. I know you don't deserve it, but I give it to you anyway. I know you went through the divorce. I know you made a mess of your life. I know you made a mess of your business. I know you made a mess of your relationship. I know your health is bad. I, I know, I know, but I'm not asking you to explain it. I'm not asking you to qualify it. I'm not even asking you to get out of it. I'm just asking you to receive the healing and the love and the mercy and the grace that I'm gonna baptize you with. And every time you receive the communion, my blood and my body, remember, it was shed for you. What do I do? I don't need you to do anything but receive it. Is there, is there, is there, no, I'm giving it to you unconditionally. I'm not asking for anything in return, he says. I don't need a check. I don't need you to kneel. I don't need you to pray. I don't need you to praise. I don't need you to do anything to receive it. Just receive it. Oh, but he says, I've got so much confidence in the power of love that you can't contain it when you receive it. You look over to the person to your left and you look over to the person to the right. You look at your kids, your parents, your grandparents, your nieces, your nephews, your neighbors, your coworkers. You'll begin to look at them and say, I don't know why I'm looking at you with compassion, but something is happening inside of my heart. I know you're an addict. I know you lie. I know you cheat. I know you do all those things, but something is causing me. Just take the blood. Just take the body. You don't understand I, 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 where I've been, where I've done, what I'm doing. I don't, I'm just take it, just take it. I've got to get the antibiotic inside of you. I've got to baptize you with the love. Why? Because he has so much confidence in his love that you can't contain it. It has to spill out. David, the most precious worshiper of all time, the one that we read the Psalms about, says it this way in Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose impurities, iniquities, sins, transgressions are not held against him. David saw 3,000 years in advance through the prophecy of the cross that there was coming a generation of people that was gonna live in the earth that he wasn't gonna be mad at, he wasn't gonna be angry with, that he wasn't holding their stuff against him. David said, man, blessed is that people. I'd give anything, David's saying, to live in that day. Oh, people, church, this is that day. You're living in a time. Do you understand that? God is not looking at you with anger. He's not looking at you with resentment. He's not shaking his head because you made a mistake. He's looking at you with compassion, desire, love, 
grace and mercy and he sees you and you're going, God, I don't, let him just pour his love on you so you can love him in return and love the people that are around you. Would you stand with me? So today, when we receive communion today, I'm not asking you to qualify yourself. I'm asking you to qualify him. Do you believe he's qualified, righteous, innocent, and pure to shed innocent, pure blood for you? Do you believe that the stripes on his back and his body being broken, his beard being stretched and torn, his crown of thorns on his head, do you believe he's qualified to take it upon himself that you might have the freedom of wholeness in your life? That's the only question you have to ask. And if you believe he's qualified, that qualifies you. So examine yourself. If you can't drink of your own and eat of your own, you gotta partake of his. Let's pass out the elements and receive these together. You all can just stay in your seat. <clears throat> and then when they pass these out, we're gonna receive them all together, okay? So you just open them up and hold them. They're little containers that have the, the wafer and the grape juice together and we'll receive it all together.
as we take our, our wafer that represents the the 56 club back there young kids learning about the right way you don't take communion you receive it he broke the bread and he said this is my body it's broken for your wholeness Paul said, as often as you do it, do it as remembrance of that moment. So as you break that bread and you partake of that bread, as we take it together, I want you to think about what he has done for you. Not what you've done for him, what he has done for you. And he took the, the fruit of the vine, the, the cup, he spoke and he said, in this is my blood, which is in, in the, my blood is the new covenant, the new testament. What's he mean when he says in the new covenant? I'm doing a new work. I'm doing a new thing. What he's saying is, listen, in the old testament, the high priest would have to apply the blood over the mercy seat to cover the sins and push him ahead for one year. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not here to cover your sins. My blood doesn't cover sins. My blood washes them away. If they're covered, you and I both know that somewhere down underneath all that, they're still there. When they're washed, there's no trace of them. As far as the east is from the west, they're far removed. That ought to free you, those of you that think, that when he does return and you're standing in front of him, he'll have a hard time bringing back stuff that's washed. If it's covered, he could dig it up. But if it's washed, it's gone. So because he forgave you and cleansed you of all unrighteousness, my suggestion is for you today, when you receive this, why don't you receive it and forgive yourself? Are you ready? Sing that second verse again. He fought a war against his will. Truth be told, he's fighting still. He looks for hope. Through narrow bloodshot eyes huh. You'll slip into a polished pew Linger for an hour or two Sometimes it just feels better To sit and cry a while This is my body Broken just for you For all you've been And all you've been through This is my plan And while you've reached the end I offer you again The body
Heavenly Father, we stand before you having received of your Holy Communion, representation of your body and your blood. We stand before you a, a blameless, shameless, righteous, holiness person in you. We don't put it on ourselves. God, we put it upon you. We thank you for the blood that was shed for us. We thank you for your body that was broken for us. And God, for those moments in time that were just a three-day journey from the time of all that happening to the time that you were crucified and resurrected. And so much of the body, Lord, is we're trying to live a resurrected life with not even understanding the trueness of the cross. And then many of us have stopped at the cross and never really understand the fullness of the resurrected body. But today is a brand new day, a day of restoration. Oh God, we've been trying to get you to repair our lives. Lord, we want them restored. We want to be reconciled fully through the cross into the resurrected state of Christ. So Father, as we enter this holy week that was celebrated 2,000 years ago, let there be a, a daily remembrance of who you are and what you have done for us. Let the love of God be shed abroad in our hearts so strong and so overflowing that as we walk in contact with people, the good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between, and everything else, our heart of compassion will break. We'll bleed with, 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 with passion and love and concern for other people. And Lord, when they take a, partake of us, and they take of the drink of the fountain that comes out of our hearts and our mouths, there'll be a, a fountain that will cleanse them. When they partake of who we are, God, and, and, and realize the life that we live, God, they'll see forgiveness. They'll see hope. They'll see restoration. They'll see, God, no judgment. They'll see mercy and they'll see grace. And as we celebrate this week, coming into this Easter Sunday that we're coming up to next week, God, let this be a week of remembrance of the goodness of God and all that you have done for us. We receive your love, we receive your mercy, we receive your grace, we receive your compassion, we receive of your blood and we receive of your body. And now that we have received, we have been freely forgiven. Now we go, Lord, in the name of Jesus to execute this to the world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you all.